Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 9. Next week, we'll begin to have a time of studying specific psalms and our pastors have written uh, hymns to, to uh, a number of these psalms, tunes and rhythms and uh, rhymes, and so that will be a special series that's coming up this summer. You'll see an announcement about it on the front monitor out in the hallway. And uh, this week we will go and return to the book of Matthew. Let me set the setting for this little, this short passage that we're going to read. Um, Jesus has been showing his power and his authority over all creation. He is the creator. And he calmed a storm. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He cleansed a leper. He's been forgiving sins. And he's even been casting out demons. And the response of the individuals who see him doing his work is, is one of two things. On the one hand, <coughs> there are the crowds. Matthew tells us in verse 33 of chapter 9 that the crowds were filled with amazement and that they said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. They were amazed by Jesus. They welcomed him and they said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Then there were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who said, quote, by the prince of the demons, he casts out demons. And so on the one hand, you have the crowd welcoming him. We've never seen anything like this. On the other hand, you have the religious leaders saying, he is the devil's spokesman. And this is not just uh, incidental, you know, it happens here in this town. This is the consistent pattern, the consistent pattern. All right, would you stand please out of respect for the word as we read our text this morning. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. The NIV has harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Jesus is going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Now, what is a synagogue? Well, if you don't have the temple in your town, because it's in Jerusalem, you have a place that you worship God, and at this time it was called a synagogue. 
And uh, it would have been very similar to the meeting houses that were at the center of the New England towns. So back in the 1700s, in Northampton, where Jonathan Edwards served, there would have been a very plain, very stark, a big uh, meeting place at the center of town. That's where they would have held church. All right, it was called the meeting house. And they wouldn't have called it the church, they would have called it the meeting house. And that was what the synagogues were like at the time. So if you were someone who was searching for God, there was one synagogue in town, and you would go there, and you would be instructed, you would pray, you would hear the reading of God's word. It was the place for those who were tender of conscience and knew they had souls and that God was holy, they went there. And they gave themselves to the love of God, the study of God's word. Now, the synagogue is very, very tied to words, and that's something all of us need to hear today. From the very beginning, the word has been at the very center of our faith. So John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right? It's speaking of Jesus, but it's also speaking of the logical center of the universe, which is God. And you can't separate logic from words. And so God said, what? Let there be light, and there was light. Words matter. Words matter. Many of you are making the mistake of of being worldlings and having your life increasingly in movies and audio files. And so you're, you're becoming stupid. And I don't say that to insult you, but it's true. You've lost the discipline of reading. You have lost even the ability to make an argument. In fact, you think arguments are wrong. But you never learn truth without arguing. What is geometry? Geometry is a very sophisticated discipline of learning arguments and making them against each other. Is that fair? I think it's fair. It's the only part of math I've ever enjoyed. (laughs) And so... uh, uh, R.C. Jr. put up a link today, and I went and looked at the link, and it's this professor at George Fox College, a Quaker school, saying that her students today can't even read things because they think it's impolite to argue with people. And so they don't even have the ability of processing competing truth claims. They don't even know the law, the law of contradiction. You know, They think that, that their job in life is to affirm everybody that asks to be affirmed. Well, listen, once you learn that at the center of God and his revelation and his creation is the word, then you're converted to realizing that schooling has always been about what? Not getting a job, schooling has always been, always will be among the people of God about learning God's word better. That's why we study history. That's why we read Augustine. That's why we know geography. That's why we study geometry. 
everything. The queen of the sciences is not physics. And it's certainly not biology. <laughs> I don't think biology is a science. <laughs> I think it's an ideology. Oh, but, sorry. <laughs> You're agreeing with me? Right on, dude. The queen of the sciences is what? It's theology. You read uh, Cardinal Newman's The Idea of a University, and he says you take theology out of the modern university, and it's all downhill. There's no truth. There's no truth. And so what Jesus does is he goes to the place in the Roman Empire that is set apart for the study of the Word of God. Words are at its center. And when you go there, what do you do? You argue. That's what you do. Why do you argue? Because you don't grow without arguing. Without arguing, you just flatter one another. Well, that's, that's helpful. That's what Ali says to you all the right time, right, Anthony? That's helpful. And then you look at her and they, you say, well, that's, that's affirming. Right? That's a normal conversation between young couples that have just gotten married, right? That's helpful. Well, that's affirming. Michael, just before she left town, decided she and I were going to have a conversation on our back deck while the rest of the family had dinner. <laughs> and who called whom out on the deck? Michael called me out. And so we went out on the deck. You know what Michael said to me? Michael, my daughter, this is my, my daughter, she's now over in Philippines, she said, that's helpful. And I looked at her and I said, that's so affirming. <laughs> Not. <laughs> she told me that I should change this and that and the other thing, and by the way, did I know such and such, and by the time it was done, she was crying and I was depressed. <laughs> and people... That is helpful. That's helpful. That's affirming. There's no way Michael could have shown her love for me more as she left town than to criticize me. Right? Right? So Jesus goes and hangs out at the place where people think words are important, reading is important, the word of God is important, they argue about it. Okay, you all with me? All right, now, what does he do there? Well, he was teaching and he was preaching. What's the difference between teaching and preaching? Teaching goes for the mind, preaching goes for the heart. Now, that's a simplistic uh, summary. But think of it this way. I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago who... Um, works a lot with AA, and he was telling me how difficult it is getting people to recognize that they're in bondage to alcohol. And he, 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 he illustrated it this way. He said, the longest distance in the world is from here to here. The mind to the heart. And I thought, you know, I'm going to use that the rest of my life because, boy, that's a truth that we learn, isn't it? And so... It might help you to think of teaching as being the mind and preaching as being the heart. Preaching tries to move this down to here. Are you with me? And so preaching always goes for the will. 
Now, if, you, if you're a child, you have, hopefully you have a mother and a father, and you know that in your home you have one parent who is content with the mind and the other one will not stop until they have the heart. That's generally true. In every marriage, there's somebody that's focused on the heart and somebody that's focused on the mind, right? And in my home, you wouldn't be surprised to know, since I'm a preacher, that my wife is generally content to have your body. You know, if she asks you to set the table and you say, I don't want to, she'll win, but she won't make an issue out of it. She'll just say, Sarah, listen, or no, was it Tara? I don't remember who it was. It might have been Seth. Who knows? But it, we, we had somebody who lived with us, and she would say, would you like to set the table? And, and the person would say, no. That might have been you, Lizzie. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be Lizzie. And it was like, finally, it dawns on Mary Lee that she's not asking a question. She's giving an order. And so she had to explain to this child that if the woman of the house asks you if you would like to do something, actually she's saying, do it, right? But, you know, people that are into efficiency generally don't want to think about the heart. They just want to make sure that you get the work done that they've assigned to you, right? So Mary Lee asked you to set the table, and you set the table, and you're harumphing. It doesn't matter as long as the table gets set. Whereas if I see you humping, it's like, are you not happy to do what your mother's asked you to do? Why are you not happy to do what your mother asked you to do? You see, so a preacher deals with the heart. All right? A teacher deals with the mind. A teacher's not trying to move the mind to the heart. A preacher is trying to move the mind to the heart. Okay? So Jesus went teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel... And what is the gospel? Well, first of all, the word gospel is a Greek word, uh, euangelion. You is good in Greek, and angel is message or messenger. And so it's a clumping together of two Greek words. One means good, one means angel or message. So Jesus is preaching the good message. Now, what is the good message? The good news of the kingdom. Okay? What is the good news of the kingdom? First of all, what kingdom? Was Jesus preaching the good news of the kingdom of the Roman Empire? No. Was Jesus preaching the good news of the coming of another Messiah who would rescue them? from the oppression of the Romans? Was Jesus preaching a culture war? Was Jesus preaching a Republican or Democratic vision? Well, he's preaching a kingdom. What kingdom was it? It's the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is in the synagogue, he's teaching and preaching, preaching the good news, and it's the good news of the kingdom. And we know it's not the kingdom of Rome, it's not kingdom of Jews, it's the kingdom of God. Now, why would that be good news? Why is it good news? 
that God has a kingdom. You know, we read the Bible, and because we're used to YouTube videos and Facebook tripe, it's so difficult for us to see that we don't like Scripture. But you don't. You don't like Scripture. You don't think that any proclamation of any kingdom is good news. You know, why? Well, because a kingdom is a sphere, a people group, a geographical area of what? Of being under the king, kingdom, right? You're dumb, he's the king. Okay? But, but, but that's a stupid joke. What I mean to say is you're under the king, and there's not one of you that wants to be under anybody. Not one of you. All of us are completely infected. It's, 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 it's in our system to hate being under authority. And yet here Jesus is preaching, not just teaching. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. What this means is that Jesus was able to get people, thousands of people, to sit and be comforted by his proclamation of what? Of God's authority. Who would be comforted by the proclamation of God's reign, his rule, his authority? Who? Doesn't make any sense. Do you think if I went down to People's Park or Dun Meadow and proclaimed the authority of the kingdom of God, that there would be 5,000 men and their women and children there? Well, we got problems right there because no woman wants to be referred to as the wife of a man. We hate authority. We absolutely hate, 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 hate. We hate authority. So today, if Jesus came and proclaimed the authority of God, the kingdom of God, who would be comforted? Now, I want you to think about that. I don't want you to think about yourself yet. I want you to think about your neighbors, the people you work with, the students you teach, your professors. Who would be comforted? Who would love to come and sit under the proclamation of the authority and the reign and the rule of God? Now I have a proposal. All right, you ready? Here's my proposal. Let's think this about megachurches and Campus Crusade and InterVarsity and Young Life. Okay? Because evangelism must still be the proclamation of the kingdom of God, right? That's the good news, right? And we, evangelical comes from the Greek word euangelion, which is good news. So to evangelize is to proclaim the good news. We know what the good news is. It's the kingdom of God. It's the authority of God. It's the rule of God. It's the reign of God. And we know that Young Life and Campus Crusade and InterVarsity are all about getting churches all over the country to give them money so they can come on the campus of Indiana University and what? What? 
preach the gospel. And so if we go down to their groups, what we'll hear all the time is a proclamation of the authority of God. Right? Because that's the gospel, right? All right. And we'll see that they have found, each of them in their own niche, they have found a particular people group that is very, very excited by the authority of God. Okay? All right. And so, for instance, there's an arm of InterVarsity, and their ministry, their focus, their, their market segment is the Greek system. Because what you'll find is in the Greek system, there is this unbelievable love for the authority of God. Come on, people. Come on, say it to me. Does not compute. You know, are you serious, Tim? Yeah, I'm serious. And then you've got Campus Crusade, and they've found that their market segment is the cheerleaders and the jocks and the the good-looking women that will grow up to bleach their hair blonde and drive SUVs or crossovers. Right? Because that market segment is perfect for proclaiming the authority of God over all of life. And then you go over into InterVarsity, and their market segment is specifically the, 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 um, the angst-ridden, alienated intellectual who will get a PhD and whoop up on all the rest of them. Because he's superior. Right? And so today, if we want to go on the campus and find people who love the authority of God and would surround Jesus if he were here today, the market groups are the cool kids, the beautiful kids, the successful kids, the intellectuals, I mean, right? Are you all with me? It's just crazy. Absolutely crazy, and you find the same thing in megachurches. Megachurches have market segments. In the PCA, uh, John McKenzie told me, as friends that go around choosing where to plant churches, he says one of the ways they do it is they count the number of angles and, and uh, dormers and stuff on roofs in subdivisions. The more angles and complication on the roof, the more that hits the demographic of the PCA. And you know that means the richest communities are where they intentionally plant churches. Or they choose a gentrifying part of a city. Did you notice that Jesus is not in Jerusalem as he's preaching and teaching? Do you know why Jesus went up to Jerusalem? To die. When he got there, he was in the city and for the city. Now, why am I going off on this? Listen, the reason is the specificity of the words of Scripture matter. Jesus was loved by the people. 
There were tons of people everywhere he went, but they were people who were comforted by the proclamation of the authority of God. Jesus wasn't going around and saying to them, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, what you'll find, you know, if you make a slight, a slight course correction in your life into the Jesus way is that you, in fact, all of society will flourish. That's not the proclamation of the authority of God. That's the authority of rhetoric. That's the authority of narcissism. It's the authority of sentimentality. It's the authority of flattery. Do you understand this? When Jesus was here, he was surrounded by whom? You want to know? You want to know? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Who was Jesus surrounded by? It says, verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We have the most merciful dentist the world has ever seen in this congregation. I just keep telling people to go to you. I told another family this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then, listen to this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Can all of you think of that little ma-and-pa pizza store half an hour south of Fort Wayne a couple weeks ago? You know, they're set up like a 16-inch softball, and the homosexualists take a whack at them, remember? Right after Refra was passed, you know, this little pizza shop, ma-and-pop, out in the boonies, you know? They had to go out in the boonies to find stupid people who would say, no, I'm not going to make a pizza for your homosexual wedding, you know? And so they said, no, we, we don't. And so the... Oh, man, all the guardians of morality in our country came down in their combat boots on that little ma and pa. Put them out of business, you know. <laughs> you know, Tim Cook finally found something to do with his $100 billion at Apple. And Salesforce and Angie's List and Subaru and... Oh, man, all the guardians of morality, all the masters of the universe. It's really sweet how... The guardians of morality in America happen to be the masters of the universe. 
You know, it's a wonderful congruence, you know? The very people that have all the authority and power also are the ones that are most sensitive to what's right and wrong. I've noticed that in my life. It's kind of like Campus Crusade, you know? The future Salesforce CEO is the one that really knows what truth and, and goodness is. Now, I'm being facetious. I'm making a joke because here is this, this pizza store out in the boonies, harming nobody. They love everybody and they'll make you pizza until you are a homosexual couple that comes in and says, will you make a homosexual, I mean, no, not a homosexual pizza. Will you, <laughs> will you make a homosexual, well, are you a homosexual, no, will you, how, what is it? I keep forgetting what's the subject and what's the object. Yeah, 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 will you cater, will you cater to a homosexual? And they have the temerity, the audacity, the stupidity to say no. And the whole world puts on their combat boots and stomps on them. Stomps them to death. And their pizza shop's gone. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Is that what it says? No. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of what? Righteousness. It is righteous to discriminate between those who are married according to God's creation and those who are flouting it, who are, putting, who are thumbing their nose, those who are giving God the finger. It is good to make a distinction to discriminate in your life between those who are giving God the finger and those who are honoring God. It is good for you as a Christian to make a distinction between those who fear man and those who fear God. We're told all through scripture never to fear man. And so if we fear God, we make distinctions between righteousness and wickedness and those distinctions infuriate the masters of the universe at Apple and Subaru and Salesforce. Okay? This is so obvious. They honored God. You say, well, we don't know whether they were honoring God because did they give the four spiritual laws to the reporters when they came? And I say, you know, I don't know, but they were being persecuted for righteousness. Well, you just can't stand for righteousness just without talking about Jesus. I mean, Jesus is what's important. They were persecuted for righteousness. Can we stop being perfectionists? And can we say that if some, some, somebody who looks like a mess in the aisle of Walmart, I mean a real mess, you know, if anybody's seen anybody, it really looks like a mess in Walmart. We've all seen the videos, right? Can we stop being perfectionists and allow ignorant people who look ugly to defend righteousness. Do you get my point? What do you care about? You want to be hip? Is that what you want? You want the approval of man? You want to associate with the cool people? You want to stay away from Walmart and Aldi? Except to save money. But you don't want to associate with any of those people, right? 
right? What we want is we want the Greek people and the PhDs and the rich people and the good-looking, beautiful people, right? In this church, that's what we're about, right? Right, 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 right. How many of those people would be comforted by the proclamation of the kingdom of God? Last night, I was filling up gas cans at the gas station. That's what you do when you get a larger yard. <laughs> you just fill up gas can after gas can after gas can. Then when you get a larger lawnmower, you just fill up more gas cans. And while I'm sitting there feeling very proud about my 1993 Toyota pickup <laughs> 1993 Toyota pickup, and the wow of the Harley-Davidson, you know? So this is a car that's been tuned and given an amplifier to sound precisely what Ford Motor Company wants its Mustang to sound like. And then it's beautiful, you know, the color's been chosen carefully. And out of the driver's door unfolds A man who used to, I, I'm absolutely certain, used to be in Campus Crusade. <laughs> you know, I mean, he is, he's just like Lane Bowman. <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's a straight ahead kind of dude. You know, no slouching for him. You know? And his clothes, oh, there I was. Oh, I mean, I looked horrible. I'd spent a day with a high-pressure sprayer and dirt. <laughs> it was caked on my legs. I shouldn't have been wearing shorts, but I was. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I thought to myself, now there, there is a man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness and is harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. But, you know, somehow I don't think he'd want me for a shepherd. Not the way I'm looking. He came striding, and then he, he came striding back. And he, is, he, he did not sit. He ensconced himself <laughs> in the seat. And then the car, you know, he, he thinks we don't know he's there, so he sits there a little bit telling us he's there, you know. And then he pulls out and sits at the edge of, you know, and it's just a few feet away, and, and he just lets us know again he's there. You know, I don't, I don't do that in my Prius. You know, I don't like, you know, it goes, I don't do it in my Toyota pickup, you know, and he sees the spot, and he goes, and I go, (laughs) 
when I grow up, I want to be like him. (laughs) You know what the Bible says about Jesus? This is what the Bible says. He healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. So we know that Jesus' ministry was individual, right? You can't heal every sickness and every disease unless you have a ministry that is to people, to persons, to individuals, right? So Jesus is dealing with individuals. Jesus is not a megachurch pastor or a reformed celebrity. I warn and warn and warn you against men who want you to know how important they are. If you don't know the kind of man I'm talking about, you have lost your ability to discriminate. The church is filled with men who want you to know how important they are. And one of the ways you know them is they will not give you the time of day if you go to their conference. They'll take your money, thank you, but they won't counsel you. You imagine Jesus not counseling you? Why, even the children he rebuked the disciples for trying to keep them away from him. I remember when I was working with a famous theologian. One day, he got sort of plaintive on the phone, and, and, and he said to me, he said, Tim, we have to get men to write about against feminism. We've got to get Bible scholars to write scholarly pieces against feminism. Can you help? I think it was the only time he ever asked me to help on something like that, you know, as opposed to just work, work. And I said to him, brother, no, I can't help. And I said, the reason I can't help is that when you go to the ETS meetings, the Evangelical Theological Society meetings, what you do is when you're talking to the graduate students and to the seminary students, your eyes never look at their eyes. You're always looking to see who's more important that's walking by. And the second you see somebody more important, you've left them and you're off talking to a famous person. And I said, what you don't realize is those young men are going to grow up to be the leaders of the church. And if you won't give them time now, they'll never give you their heart. And if you don't have their heart, they're never going to stand against the oppression of, of feminism today. You see, famous religious leaders, they claim to love God and to love people, but there's never particular individuals they love, right? You know what I'm saying? It's the aggregate that they love. And this is what Paul Johnson in the book of the intellectuals points out about all intellectuals. All intellectuals make a huge deal about how they have love for mankind but they have no love for their wife and their child. Okay? So, for instance, he gives this illustration that comes from the life of Tolstoy. All right? Tolstoy had recently had a child born, and like Mary Louise, our grandchild, this child was not thriving. His life was in danger. And Tolstoy abandoned, left his, 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 his four-month-old child, about how old Mary Louise is now, 
and his wife because he wanted to go over to another place to consult with a political leader about some compassionate legislation. All right? And this, was, this, this caused his wife to write him this note. She said, my little one. Notice the pronoun. Always listen to pronouns. What does she not say? She doesn't say our. She says, my little one is still unwell, and I am very tender and pitying. You and Soiteev may not especially love your own children, but we simple mortals are neither able nor wish to distort our feelings or to justify our lack of love for a person by professing some love or other for the whole world. And that's something. So here Jesus is. And his ministry is individual. He sees you, 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 he sees you. And this is Jesus. This is the Lord of Lords. How do we get to the point where we choose pastors and leaders and we fawn over them and give them our adulation who then milk us and fleece us and headbutt us? You ever tried to talk to a famous person at a conference? That's what he does. He headbutts you. Or the real famous one, they have men next to them that headbutt you. Listen, people, this is not the way of Jesus Christ. It's not the way of Jesus Christ. And as long as we think that, that God is pleased to build his church by getting cheerleaders and jocks and Kelly School of Business people and beautiful people and intellectuals, it's stupid. It's not how Jesus... Jesus wasn't even in Jerusalem. Jesus was out... Jesus was out in Galilee, and he chose, you know, you know how I describe farmers? You want to know what a farmer is? One day my father and I are downtown Elgin on a Saturday. He goes and buys the shampoo and everything on Saturdays. And Elgin is not a sophisticated town. In fact, it's a grungy town. Anybody know Elgin? Yeah, it is grungy, okay? And we're walking across the street, and it's fairly early Saturday morning. <laughs> And my father was as urbane as they came. And I'm walking next to him, and there's this dude coming across the street. And as he walks towards us, this is what he does, right? He walks towards us, and he goes, and he blows his nose by holding one nostril. And these were the people that Jesus had surrounding him. Make no mistake about it. They were the people who were farmers, who were fishermen. You don't have time to get a handkerchief out of your pocket. You know, can't you imagine the fisherman, you know, he's pulling in the nets and he, he well, I thought I had a handkerchief. Yeah, I do have a, I got, <laughs> I, I thought, well, apparently I don't. I have paper, plastic bags. 
Oh, yeah, you could open it up and blow it. <laughs> I don't know why I have these things. I thought I had a handkerchief today, but I don't. But listen, farmers and fishermen don't have time for handkerchiefs. They just don't. And so he preaches the good news, and the good news is what? It's the authority of the kingdom of God. Why is that good news? It's good news because you spend your life being oppressed. You spend your life with people making fun of you because you call homosexuals to repent. And you're not engaging in a culture war. This is so stupid. Christians speaking up about the kingdom of God are culture warriors? Duh. It's stupid. It's not a political act to call people to repent and to hope in Jesus. It's not a political act to go to a homosexual and say, I know that you have found it impossible to fight against your sin because I sin in, in the same way. It's slightly different, but, but I want you to know Jesus because his Holy Spirit has rescued me from my sin. It's not a political act. It's not a culture war. It's following in the footsteps of your master who himself gave the good news of the kingdom of God. And the first place that it's good news is when we face our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Why do you think the people are mourning? They're mourning because of their sin. Day after day after day, they find a law in them, a law of sin and death, and they can't escape it. Who will rescue us from this body of death? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. And so the people that we go after, our market segment, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who mourn, those who are peacemakers. They're not the guys that drive up in the Mustang with an amplified exhaust system. Now, it may be that he is a Nicodemus, if you know what I'm saying. And if we see any hint that that man is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we don't let his mustang and his clothing and his strutting get in the way of us loving him, right? He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited, harassed and helpless. You know what this means? This means that the people that we love in Bloomington are those who are harassed and helpless. They were the ones that were there with Jesus. Jesus looked out at those who came to be taught and preached to by him. And they were harassed and helpless. Do you see this? So if you want to think market segment for Jesus, which should be the market segment of this church, what you want to do is think, who of my friends are harassed and helpless? Those are the friends that are candidates for you proclaiming the authority of God. For you telling them that the Holy Spirit will give them victory over their sin. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses them from their sin. And when you look out at them, they will be harassed and helpless. They will be discouraged and and. They will be weak, they will hunger and th- they will mourn. They, they will be what? The people in Aldi and the people in Walmart. Do you hear me, people? Do you hear me? 
You want to find your candidates who are harassed and helpless and have no shepherd? Go into Walmart. I guarantee you the guy with the Mustang's not there. It is an act of humility to walk into a Walmart store. And you say, no, it's not. I save good money there. And I say, open your eyes, dude. I've seen things at Walmart that would make a grown man cry. I mean, the people of Walmart are harassed and helpless. There, it's, 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 it's the grocery store where the cattle go to feed. Do you understand me? It's like a feedlot for pigs. Right? Right? Come on, people. I remember years ago, I, I made a similar analogy with Walmart and Aldi. Oh, man, did I catch it afterwards. You know, how could you say such a critical thing about Walmart? I'm not being critical of Walmart. I'm saying it's wonderful because you can just rule out all the people who aren't harassed and helpless. The only people in Walmart are harassed and helpless, you know. Like sheep without a shepherd. When I read this, I was thinking about Paul, who I, in the New Testament, I just love watching Paul be a shepherd of his sheep, a pastor. I just love watching him. You know, partly because he's so Jewish. You know, he's just Jewish to the core. And I have a great affection for the directness and verbal uh, ability and cantankerousness of the Jewish people. Because I resemble them, you know? I find them infinitely interesting and humorous and, you know, I'm sorry, I'm making comments about a people group. I hope I'm not offending you, all right? And so um, I was thinking about this morning about sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the people of God are sheep and the pastor's a shepherd. And I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and I was thinking how in Acts 20, he describes his normal shepherding, all right? that comforts the sheep, right, this way. He says, remember, I never stopped warning you. Day and night with tears. Do you think the man in the Mustang would put up with a pastor who never stopped warning him day and night with tears? he'd find a church where you don't ever have to worry about the pastor warning you. Right? And Jesus says, he looks out, and everybody that's come to listen to him is harassed and helped with sheep without shepherd, and so they have come to him. And he gives them the good news of the authority of the kingdom of God, and they hear that God's going to win. God's going to win with them. The blood of Christ is going to wash them, and the Holy Spirit's going to change them. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then he hears that all the kings who have oppressed them are going to stand up on that day and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And Tim Cook at Apple is going to say, 
Woe is me. I was wrong. I was an oppressor of the righteous. And finally, Tim Cook will be judged. And this should comfort the godly. Otherwise, why does Jesus tell us that he's going to be judged? You read in Zephaniah where it said that God's going to completely humiliate and destroy the proud. Did you read that? You remember it was read just a few minutes ago. All right. And then, our final verse, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so he looked out. The people gathered around were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Who are the workers? These are men who will proclaim the good news of the authority of God. Right? These are men whose market segment are the harassed and helpless. Right? Do you all see it? Come on. Come on. Be black. Come on. Say amen. Come on. Isn't that wonderful that God chooses the scum of the earth? Not many powerful, not many wise, not many rich, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world, and that's you. And it's not an insult. It's glory. It's your glory. And then he says, pray that the Lord will raise up workers. And that's where I want to end. You know, I know that it's a pain to have all these men being paid by you. I know that. I know that you sit at home and you think, my goodness, who are all these guys and why do we have to pay them? I mean, honestly, who is Jack or Juke or what's his name? Oh, Jake, Jake Menzel. Who's Jake, Who's Jake Menzel? And what does he do? And, and, and Phil Moyer. I mean, I know he leads the choir, but honestly, do we have to pay a guy because he leads the choir? Carol used to do that for free. Jody, well, you know, you know, he leads work. And Tim, well, you know, he works a day a week. He preaches. And Max, well, the, <laughs> Max is the center of the home. We can't get rid of Max. I don't mind paying Max. And Stephen, Stephen and Tim and Max, I mean, isn't three enough? What, what do we got to have Phil and we got Alex and we got Jake and we got, well, okay, Jody. But Jake and Phil and Alex and, oh, yeah, yeah, Lucas. What does Lucas do? And why do we need a pastor's college anyhow? I mean, is it just stroking Tim's ego to have all these guys around? You know, <coughs> I've told you that the curriculum at every seminary is to avoid conflict. That's the real curriculum of every seminary. And if the best pastor of the New Testament is Paul, and he describes his ministry as, I never stopped warning you day and night with tears, 
One of these is not like the other. At all costs avoid conflict. I never stopped warning you day and night with tears. We cannot send our men off to seminaries. We tried that. It does not work. And so, yeah, you have to pray that the Lord of Harvest will raise up workers. You have to catch the vision. Yeah, I know you're not there teaching. I know that. But so what? If your elders have seen a vision for training shepherds who will love the harassed and helpless sheep, instead of going off (coughs) to the gentrified part of Indianapolis and making like they're doing something wonderful. Where did Joseph and David Abasara go? They didn't go to the near north side. They didn't go up to Fishers. They had a real wealthy, influential man trying to get him to go up to Fishers. Said he was sure a church would fly that was reformed up there. Well, who lives up in the near, in the northeast side of Indy? Who lives up there? Harassed and helpless sheep? No. <coughs> so Joseph and Heidi moved into Speedway. And then David Abassar, who on earth is ever going to train him to be a pastor? He'd try to get into Covenant Seminary and they'd tell him, you haven't been to college. Many of you don't know him. Stands 6162, weighs about 350 pounds, I'd guess. More muscle than even David Carell. The first time he showed up, he's right there where you are, right there over at the school. And here's this massive man. I mean, a man. You know what I mean? David Abbasar is a man. I mean, you just look at him and you want him to give you a hug. At least I do. And he's got the spiked bleached thing you know, he's got the thing through the eyebrow, and he's like, and I remember him watching as I preached, and he's like, he'd never heard nothing like it. He'd been in the pool halls, and during the day, he, he climbed trees and trimmed them. He's a man! And then my wife told me to take him on a long walk and tell him to go home. She didn't want him around because she loved Vanessa. Victorson, and she knew he was bad news for Vanessa. So we went on a two-hour walk through Sherwood Oaks, or no, the stands. And I told him that my wife had given me orders, and he was to go home to Chicago. He loved Vanessa. I said, it doesn't matter. You're going home. Imagine this. A young man who is virility defined and some over the hill fatso is telling him his wife has told him to send him home and so he went home and he didn't complain And if you want, you can choose a hipster that has his lineup of his craft beer and smokes his pipe and 
plants on the near north side are up in fissures and counts the roof angles and talks like Tim Keller and is effeminate. Or you can choose the fishermen. And you can pray that the Lord will raise up more fishermen. And yeah, you laugh when he goes, And Dave still, but I mean, he's, I got a call from a United, a PCUSA pastor that went to Gordon-Conwell with us last week. He wants to know if we can send him a revival preacher for three days. And I had more men than I could shake a stick at that I could recommend. But I kind of went for David because he's out in the country. He says, a bunch of Amish are going to come to the revival. And I thought, you know, here's what you want to do. You want to have David preach the revival and then... Get the people in by saying that he'll teach you how to be safe with a chainsaw and how to fell a tree right where you want it. Because I was over at Josh Congro's, gosh, and niche, and I saw him do it with three separate, they were all about this big around, humongous. And one was aimed right at the little house right next door to Josh, completely aimed at it. And I told the people that lived there, don't worry, he's good. He'll never hit your house. You can count on it, you know? And it's leaning right in the middle of the house. And Dave is like, you know, and he goes over and starts cutting. Well, I wanted to show them how confident I was in Dave because it was headed right for that house, you know? But he was going to drop it over here in between the deck and this car. And there was a power line up there. But Dave told me the power line will be okay. Well, you know, I trust David, you know. He hasn't been to college. And he's got tattoos. <laughs> but I trust him. Okay. So David fires up the thing. And I go stand right between the tree and the house just to show the owners how confident I am in David. And I keep looking up at that thing. And I start and pretty soon, I'm probably from here to Connor. I keep backing up, and the owners say, how come you're backing up? And I say, you know, it sure looks like it's going to fall this way, you know. So David just figures it out in his brain, you know, and he makes the cut, does the wedge, and then he starts the cut. And it's leaning over there. And that tree goes on the hinge, if you know what I'm talking about, the hinge. And the hinge drops it right here. And it's less than two feet from the deck. This is a monster tree. And it doesn't hit the car. And the branches at the very top hit the power line so that the power line bounces up and down. But it doesn't break. And I go... This is a pastor. You know? Would you be willing to confess your sin to him? Pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up workers. Come next week to the graduation. Encourage David Canfield and Stephen and Jody and Jake and Phil as they teach the young men. Talk to your relatives and have them come here to be trained. And don't resent the money. If you can. I mean, I know that one's hard, but try. Okay, all right. Now, you want to know why I'm preaching so long today? My wife says it immediately. She says, because David Carell is not here today. <laughs> <laughs>
Normally, he's back there. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Listen, you have people all around you who are humble, who mourn. Please forget the rich and proud. Do not try to evangelize Donald Trump. Okay? Go for the people that shop at Walmart and fill this church with them. They're harassed. They need to hear the gospel of God's authority and victory. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that you will give us faith to forsake the rich and the wise in the world's eyes and to turn aside to those who are harassed and helpless and to love them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.